over time, your habits become your limitations. Your limitations become your, your pain points. Hugging trees is great, and climbing trees is possibly even better. You're listening to Plant Love Radio, episode number 57. Welcome to Plant Love Radio, a place where you'll discover how to create a balanced, vibrant, and resilient life through the wonders of herbal medicine. I'm your host, Lana Camille, a college professor, drug information pharmacist, and an herbalist. You'll love my amazing guests, herbal teachers, clinicians, medicine makers, growers, and artists. Thank you for joining me on this adventure. Let's get the show started. Hello, friends. I hope you're doing well. If you're listening to this episode close to its release day, you might be somewhere in the world under quarantine because of COVID-19. Even though our lives have changed, one thing that unites most of us is the need for movement to preserve our health and sanity. My today's guest is just the person to talk to us about this. I'm hopeful that you'll be able to listen to this episode as you go outside for a quiet walk. Vrind Madura is the co-founder of the Commonwealth Center for Holistic Herbalism here in Massachusetts. He consults with clients, teaches online and in-person classes, and mentors less experienced herbal practitioners. Rin's first forays into healing came by the way of martial arts. This is where he saw the difference movement and discipline could make for a person's health. Coming closer to the green world gave him more reason to go play outside and express his love for movement skills. Rin's work helps him to focus on the intersection between movement and herbalism. In our fascinating conversation, we cover a lot of ground. We discuss dynamic home and work environments, why they matter, and how you can create one for yourself. Vrin discusses with us the connection between different energetics and constitutions and how to think of most helpful movement skills for each individual based on this perspective. We end our conversation discussing the categories of plants that enhance movement. As my gift for you, I put together a short guide summarizing herbal activities and their connection to movement based on our discussion. You can find it along with other resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes at plantloveradio.com slash 57. Enjoy. Rin, good morning. How are you doing? I'm just great. How are you today? I am good. It's so great to have you here on the show. Thank you. I would like to start by allowing our audience to get to know you a little bit better. How your herbal medicine journey began? Sure, yeah. So um, for me, it all really started when I met Katya. Um, so she was a friend of mine, or she, she was somebody who I met through friends in a social circle, and we started spending a lot of time together. And um, I... I was with her at her house one day and I was just like, Hey, what's with all these weird jars in your closet over here? And they were all full of herbs. And so she started talking to me about being an herbalist. And this was a time when she had just come back to Boston after being, um, living up in Vermont and New Hampshire for many years. And so a lot of, a lot of the people I knew had started talking and been like, Katya's coming back, Katya's coming back. And I was like, this is a person I've never heard of that everybody knows. And then I met her and then I understood immediately. And, so, you know, she was um, the first person to introduce me to herbalism and to really uh, teach me about it. And, you know, over the years, I, I was able to dive right in and, and learn a whole lot about it and start to go into practice alongside her. And we began teaching together. And so, you know, 10 years later, here we are. And you even ended up marrying each other. Yes, yes. She's so, so charming. <laughs> that's wonderful. That's wonderful. So I've heard you speak many times to my pharmacy students with Katya, but this past June, I attended a workshop that you did for herbalists at uh, Herbstock, and this particular workshop was on movement for herbalists. So I wanted to find out a little bit more about it. When and how did this topic become important for you? 
Yeah, you know, um, before I was an herbalist, uh, I was teaching martial arts, and I had, um, you know, I went I went to university for literature and for philosophy and all these things that you can really get a job with really easily, you know. Um, so uh, what I did was um, I, I had found this this style of martial arts that I really enjoyed, and I was dedicating a lot of time to that. And so when Katya met me, that was that was my my major focus. Um, I had a, a day job at a university to pay the bills and everything, but that was what I was really into. And that was important to me. It was the first time in my life that I really started to pay attention to my own health and to how to take care of my body. It was the first time I was seriously teaching other people um, anything, you know, but specifically something that was oriented towards developing health and body awareness and um, all of those kinds of things. And so that kind of led me um, naturally into herbalism. And, and really from the beginning, I was thinking a lot about ways to support movement practices because I would sprain an ankle and want to get back into the dojo or, you know, um, things like that would, would happen. And so a lot of my, my first and most, um, uh, the kinds of experiences that left a big impression on me had a lot to do with the intersection of movement and herbalism. So it's really always been something I've been interested in. Um, and for a little period of time, um, I had I had left that particular martial arts school and wasn't quite sure what I was really doing with myself in terms of movement pursuits. But in the last couple of years, I've been finding some other ways to approach movement and think about it and, and teach it. And so I've been trying to reintegrate that back into my work um, as, a, as a practitioner. When you are discussing holistic herbalism, there are four different aspects that you include, food, sleep, stress, and movement. And mm -hmm. I wanted to talk a little bit about it. Why do you feel that health and vitality are not possible without movement? Yeah, yeah. So you're right. You know, when we are our, 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 our place, our school, our, our clinic, our everything is called the Commonwealth Center for Holistic Herbalism. And so that idea of holistic herbalism is really important to us. And like you say, we think about the fundamental determinants of good health as having to do with the food that we eat, the kind of sleep we get, um, how we manage the stresses in our lives, and how we move around. So it really is very critical um, to good health for kind of a, a broad array of reasons. Um, some of my favorites uh, have to do with um, the movement of fluids in the body, right? So when blood moves around your system, we sometimes think that it's really just the heart that does that job. But in fact, it's not really your heart's job to pump blood throughout your entire system. You have, you know, people talk about like miles of, of <laughs> you know, blood vessels and everything if you were to line them out, out end to end. Um, and so, you know, for your heart to pump blood through all of those areas, it's it's not really built for that. The heart gets blood out into the major arteries, and then from there, it's the movement of your skeletal muscles, the contraction and relaxation of them that produce pressure changes inside the system and help that blood to move out through and get out um, to the organs that need feeding or to the little capillaries or to the tips of your fingers. Um, and so you really do need to move your body in order to move your blood. Um, when we get very sedentary, of course, cardiovascular problems are a part of that. And it's in some ways because the heart is trying to like compensate for the sedentary lifestyle and, and try to keep that blood flowing. So there's blood. There's also lymph, right? So lymph is a really important fluid as well. And that doesn't have its own pump behind it. Lymphatic movement really depends on the movement of your muscles. Um, as you, as you squeeze a muscle, as you release it, you, again, you create these pressure differentials and that keeps that, that lymphatic fluid moving through there. And that, that's, um, that's a waste disposal system. That's a nutrient delivery system at the same time. Kind of amazing that it can do both. Um, it's also a place where a lot of immune responders in the body live and how they circulate and get around to where they're needed. Um, so, you know, by now we've already looked at circulatory, immune, um, uh, detoxification functions, nutritive functions, all these things that are really directly dependent on movement. But beyond that, Every single cell in the body, uh, we now understand, has what are called mechanoreceptors. You know, and we're, we're very used to thinking about the body as like a bag of chemistry, right? Like we eat certain things, they, they have nutrients, they have, they have phytochemistry, they have anti-inflammatory compounds, they have all these things that we, that we want and that we market to each other, and that's great. But um, we have to also think about the physics of the body too, right? So there are 
chemical inputs that can make a huge difference in our lives. If you don't get enough iron, if you don't get enough calcium, if you don't get enough uh, herbal antioxidants, you know, you're going to have trouble. But there are also issues with, with physical inputs, right? So again, every cell in the body has these mechanoreceptors. They're responding to pressure and tension on that particular cell itself, but also the tissue that it's a part of. And you can keep scaling out from there and say like one cell, one tissue, one system of tissues, the whole body, right? So um, every, every cell in the body is responsive to those kinds of signals and actually depends on them to function well. Some of these are easier to understand than others, like with bones. Um, we recognize that bones need to have a load on them. They need to have either some, some pressure or some tension um, in order for them to be stimulated to repair themselves and to, to grow strong and healthy. Um, and it turns out that that's actually true for the, for the whole entire body. So, um, so yeah, so we have this, this kind of whole intersection between um, circulating the fluids, giving your body the, the physical signals that it needs just as much as the chemical signals um, to keep everything functioning well. So movement is a lot more than what contemporary culture looks at. What you're saying is that it's really essential for health and wellness of every part of your body. Yeah, in a really, in a really broad sense. Mm -hmm. In addition to what we just discussed, there is also quite a bit of uh, literature and evidence suggesting that uh, healthy muscles are essential for longevity. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, this is this is really true, you know. So um, a lot of people, like you said, they want to build muscle, they want to they want to look pretty, right? And and that's that's fine, you know. Your goals are your goals, but we can recognize that that muscle itself is really an important tissue, not just for moving you around or for picking up heavy things uh, and stuff like that. You know, um, like forty percent of your body weight is skeletal muscle tissue, so that's quite a lot of you. Um, And uh, like you say, there's a lot of evidence that it matters. I'd like to sum this up in the phrase, muscle makes you harder to kill. Um, I like and, that a lot. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's not just, you know, like, again, like if you get attacked by a tiger or something. Um, but uh, there's, a, there's an independent association between uh, how much muscle mass you have and your, your mortality. And, you know, that means like how susceptible you are to dying from basically anything. Um, and so really shortly there, more muscle equals the, the, the likelihood or the, the prevalence of a, of a longer life. Um, there are some like micro level um, reasons we've identified for that. There are certain proteins and enzymes that are related to the aging process. Um, there was one I was really uh, intrigued to learn about. It's, it's called Clotho. Um, and that's named for one of the, one of the fates in Greek mythology. Um, you know how there's like, they, they spin the thread of the mm -hmm. life and then they measure it and then they cut it. Um, so yeah, so, uh, Clotho is the, the one who spins the thread of your life and, and they've, they've named this protein in the body on that basis. Um, and it basically uh, catches out that the more of this particular protein you produce, the longer people seem to live and it's directly related to how much muscle you have on your body. So that's, a, that's like about lifespan. Um, but then we can think also about, um, there's a term that's been used a lot lately, health span. Mm -hmm. And that's basically to say like, okay, you can live for 90 years, but are the last 20 of those years going to be you in a hospital bed or, you know, in a, in a place where you're not really, not really having great quality of life? Um, so, you know, uh, building muscle strength and mass is really critical for healthy aging, For lots of reasons, um, you know, uh, making you more resistant to infection, better able to cope with with those kind of difficulties, um, but also, you know, uh, simple things like just being less likely to fall down and uh, break a hip or, you know, be able to, to um, recover from something like that. So those kind of things really matter a lot. And then for basically everybody, um, you know, in, in the modern world, we look at a lot of illnesses and, and diseases that have much to do with problems of blood sugar regulation. Mm -hmm. Where, and not just diabetes, but, you know, this includes heart disease and cancers and things like that. Um, and many of those trace back to an a, a imbalance called insulin resistance, right. where the cells of the body are not responsive to the insulin signal. Um, having, again, having more muscle mass on the body is a great way to improve your whole body insulin sensitivity. Um, Uh, muscle tissue, particularly trained muscle tissue, is really good at pulling sugar right out of the blood without the mediation of insulin. And so your body doesn't have to produce as much, and so then you're less likely to overproduce and get into that resistant state. 
So, yeah. And then, you know, there's also things like you get better cholesterol readings and your LDL, HDL balance and all of that. Um, so, you know, on and on we could go, we could go and, and keep, keep digging on it. But, um, there are some medical authorities who are proposing that like the amount of muscle mass should be considered a vital sign, uh, right up there with your heart rate and your respiration and, and, uh, blood pressure and things like that. Very interesting. So we talked a little bit about why these things are important and how they fit into our health and well-being. Now let's talk a little bit about the actually what. So during your class, you talked about the difference between exercise and movement or movement habits. And you also mm-hmm. discussed that many people do not like the concept of exercising, but movement resonates a lot deeper with them. So what are these movement habits and can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. So um, one of the ways to understand this is that um, movement is like the really big circle and then exercise would be a small circle that's contained within that one. Mm-hmm. And then there could be lots of other little circles inside that if we had a if we had a graph or whatever, that would be other kinds of movement that you do in the course of your day that we don't classify as exercise. So that's the first thing I like to say to people because a lot of times people feel like they, they don't move well or they don't have the, the kind of body that they want. And, um, you know, they feel like the only way to solve that is to go to a gym and to um, or go to a CrossFit box or whatever. And, and these kind of things that we've we've set up as this is exercise. This is what it means to to exercise and to take care of your body physically. Um, and uh, to it can help a lot of people to realize that other kinds of movement can be. Um, can be just as good. And it, it depends a lot on your goals, you know? Um, so yeah, I do like to talk instead about movement habits generally. And that, that includes exercise as one of the habits you, you engage in, but also a lot of other things like how much time do you spend sitting down? How much time do you spend stuck in one, in one sedentary position, whether that's standing, like maybe somebody who works at a counter at their job, you know, you're standing, but you're still kind of sedentary in a way. Right. Um, uh, also things like, uh, how often do you get to walk? Um, how much time do you spend, uh, driving, uh, all these different elements that have to do with what are you actually doing with your body in space as you go through your day? So, um, that kind of broadens the, the domain that we're thinking about, um, and helps us to, to look at other ways. So, you know, we have, we all have to walk around, we have to climb stairs, we have to, you know, stand up and sit down and all these things are necessary. Um, so we're already, we're already movers. We're already moving people. Um, and we're going to build on that base. Um, so yeah. And then that also gets into things like when we're thinking about how we move around, we're thinking about like, what are the best ways to, to enable that or to make that more attainable. Um, and I like to begin with what I talk about as dynamic environments. And so that's both at home and also at work, um, trying to find ways so that we're not spending as much time stuck in the same position. Usually sitting, you know, for, for most people, that's where that tends to cash out. Um, and again, you know, like it's not bad to sit. Uh, humans, humans sit down. Ancestrally, this was uh, a way to conserve energy. You know, if we're not actively going for something, we're going to sit down. But on the other hand, our ancestors also had a lot of things to accomplish in their physical world. And um, they didn't have the convenience of going to a grocery store and opening a package and suddenly there's dinner. So there was a lot of work just involved in, in being alive and, and keeping yourself alive from day to day. Um, so we can actually take some inspiration from that. Um, when we sit on the ground, for instance, we tend to alter our position a lot more frequently than when we sit in a chair. When you sit in a chair, you can just let the chair hold you. You don't have to hold yourself up. Um, and it's very easy to just get there and to get to get couch locked, you know, to get stuck. So um, a simple thing that that I advise a lot of people to try is just to ignore your furniture for a while, you know, like push it all into a corner. Very and just, interesting. Like, yeah. Yeah. And um, there's even there was a recent study that came out about archetypal resting positions, um, like, you know, sitting with your legs straight out in front of you, sitting with your legs crossed, sitting with both knees bent over to one side, um, things that humans just sort of naturally adopt. And you can see kids do this when they when they hang out and play together. Um, And how, you know, if you cycle through a variety of different positions like that, you're going to stretch some muscles in one position and contract them in another. And so it's sort of like slow motion movement. 
you know, if you go through, a, a, you know, switch up through like a, a dozen positions over the course of an hour, if you did that a little more smoothly and quickly, it could be like a yoga flow, you know, or like a, a ground movement flow. So um, those kind of things can actually make a difference. And so we're thinking about sitting less, sitting differently, um, and finding ways to integrate more, more like cues to, to get up and move around through our day. Um, I love, I love to set alarms. I love to like, cause we all carry a phone around, you know, or most of us anyway, have the smartphone and we're always looking at it anyway. So help like let your smartphone help you to achieve these, these kind of goals. Right. So, um, you can set an alarm to go off every 20 minutes or every 30 minutes that just says move around a little. And when that goes off, you can get up. And if you're at work, you can walk around the floor or go up and down a couple flights of stairs. Or if you have, um, a place where you're not going to get looked at funny, or if you don't care about getting looked at funny, then you can do some squats or you can do some pushups, uh, right there in your, in your workspace. Um, and, uh, just play around a little bit. So having that as like a little reminder and this, I like to talk to people who, um, you know, are, we often find ourselves talking to people who work in office environments and they're not, they're not sure, uh, about how that will play out. Um, and say things like, look, when you when you move around more, when you take breaks, you can become more productive. Uh, if you can convince the other people you work with to take a walking uh, meeting instead of one where you sit around, there's there's good hard data on this that the meeting will be shorter and it will be be more successful. And you know people tend to really respond to that. Um, so those are those are some ideas there. Well, when I'm at home nowadays, uh, I like to find ways to to encourage movement in the home. How right? do you do that? Yeah, one of my one of my favorites uh, is to um, find ways that you can. I, I, guess, I don't know if force is the right word, but you can encourage yourself to move a little bit differently. Um, so, what I mean by that? One game that I like to play a lot is to take. Um, we have some like red string, and what we'll do is like we have a hallway in the middle of our of our house, and you have to go down that to get to the other rooms. So we'll um, take a piece of red string and tape it to one side of the hallway over here and the other side of the hallway over there. And then now that's a laser, right? And put up a few of those and now be like, all right, this is that scene in the movie where we're going to like sneak through and steal the treasure, right? And you can step over this one and you can crawl under that one and you can like bend down and, and do, the, do the, uh, the limbo under this one, right? But you're just walking down the hallway. You're going to do that a dozen times today or 20 times today. But every time you're going to move, you're going to stretch, you're going to bend, you're going to engage some different set of muscles in your body. So that's really fun. That, and then my other mantra lately is leave your toys lying around. So, you know, like a, if you have a kettlebell, like don't just keep it over in the, in the workout room, like put it in the middle of your living room floor. Don't, don't kick it, you know, but, but whenever you stand up and walk through that room, grab it, pick it up, carry it from room to room with you. You know, I have some uh, lengths of two by four that I that I keep in the living room and I'll often just like leave them lying around. And every time I go by them, I'll just do a little balance work and, you know, stand up on the two by four and turn around a couple times and walk back and forth. Um, just little things like that to encourage you to move differently, to break out of what have been your your habits, because over time, your habits become your limitations, your limitations become your your pain points. It's it's really interesting to me that you're talking about it. First of first aspect of it is how playful it is. Also that you are really thinking about these environments. They are not just like okay, I'm going to the gym for 60 minutes, but it's something that you are trying to integrate throughout the entire day and you are trying to include movement in as many different ways as possible. What's also fascinating to me is that when you're talking about switching positions that if you're sitting versus when you're sitting on the ground or doing various other things, um, that you are naturally transitioning from one to another. And that this is something that perhaps strengthening the body and changing the body and allowing it to become more flexible and malleable and so on and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm really fortunate. Our landlord kind of lets us do a lot of things. Um, he, he allowed us to put monkey bars in that hallway too. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just super simple, you know, like a two by four with some notches cut in and, uh, and then the, the bars to go across. But, um, that's really fantastic. And, uh, man, I tell you when I, when I have a house, I'm definitely gonna, <laughs> definitely gonna put that in there. Um, so, I mean, yeah, there's lots of options with that. Um, 
And, you know, so you think about things like this, you think about things like gardening and doing lawn chores and stuff like that. And, and that counts, you know, that counts as movement. Um, all of this kind of goes back to people need to think about or, or take a moment and meditate. Like, what are your actual movement goals? You know, can we talk about looking? that a little bit? Yeah. 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 Um, you know, like, are we looking to, uh, well, what are we looking to run a marathon? Are we looking to climb Mount Everest? Are we looking to just be able to be getting to 80 and 90 years old without worrying about falling down? You know, that's work that we have to do now. Right. And wherever now is, if you're, if you're 79, then it's still now, right? If you're 29, it's still now. So these are things that we need to be thinking about, um, wherever we are. Um, and once you, once you have a sense of like what your, what your intention is, that can help you to, to put together your program, right? Um, if you're focusing more on these health aspects, then, and again, this is news to a lot of people, but you don't have to focus too much on like standard performance metrics, right? Things like how much weight can you lift or how far can you run? A lot of people mistake, um, or make this mistake that like, if a little bit of walking or a bit of running is good for you, then more must always be better. And so I should be trying to get as many miles mm -hmm, as possible mm -hmm. to get as fast as possible. There's a big difference between health and performance when it comes to movement. So the thing about these is that if you were to graph the two of them, they do track closely together. Um, especially if you're starting from a place of sedent sedentism, not moving around too much, they track really closely together for a while, but then they start to diverge. Right. And so you, you reach into that place where we talk about overtraining um, and we can talk about that in, in a second. But, you know, just to understand that, um, you know, professional athletes, they're they're oriented towards their particular sports and um, there are health benefits that come with that. But there can also be consequences. You know, we think about gymnasts and how they're like super efficient at doing that springy, bouncy kind of movement they do. Uh, but they also often end up with, you know, bad knees or damaged joints or something pretty early in life. Um, and so when we're thinking about longevity, when we're thinking about long-term health, it really is more about those, those ways to integrate movement into your daily life rather than like really grinding out some intense exercise over here or, or every day, you know? Um, yeah. So you mentioned overtraining. Can you talk about what are some of the signs and ways to avoid overtraining? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So when we, whenever we work out, it is a stress on the body. It is, it is a, a kind of stressor and exercise should be, um, what we call a hormetic stressor. That means one that, um, makes you stronger afterwards, right? It's the, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, um, sort of idea. So um, it can be that, but it, it requires a few things. It requires you to be nourished effectively in a way that your body has the materials to, to repair the damage of the exercise, right? Because when you exercise, you tear your muscles a little bit, you strain some things, you induce some inflammation, and that's the normal part of the process that's going to help you to grow stronger later. But if your body can't get that inflammation in check because you have a lot of inflammatory omega-6s in your diet, for instance, or, you know, you don't have enough of the counterbalancing nutrients, then that process isn't going to play out well. Um, if you don't eat enough protein, you know, you're not going to have what you need to, to build that. Um, but also if we're not resting sufficiently, and this is where people usually get into trouble is like, again, a little bit of workout is good. More workout must be better. Let me, you know, be as intense about this as often and frequently as I can. And that'll be good for me, right? Well to a point, you know, not forever. And so you can get into this place where you are, you are in that state of overtraining and the stress of the workout is not being compensated for afterwards. And now you're, you're getting these, these problems that go along with that. So what kind of problems? Um, the biggest thing is that you're going to, or the, the first most obvious thing would be that you're going to see a plateau and then a decline in your actual performance. So if somebody is a runner and, you know, they had been running, you know, for 30 minutes, uh, three times a week, and they decided to, to really ramp it up and they, they decide to go running for an hour every single day, then they may find that suddenly the time that it takes them, uh, to cover a mile is, is getting longer and longer or that they're just really feeling it like, Oh, why is this so hard today? Um, and it's really because they haven't had enough time to rest and to recover. Um, so that can be a sign. Um, also, if you had uh, 
like a flare up in an inflammatory problem or an autoimmune problem, um, particularly right after an exercise session or that didn't, didn't die down. Um, so that could be like if there's uh, tendonitis or eczema or arthritis or something and you're like, wow, this is starting to, to flare up on me. I'm not sure why. You look at your food, your sleep, your other, your other critical points, and those seem okay. It could be that the movement is excessive. Maybe you're not, you're not sleeping enough to counterbalance that. Um, you know, if there's a lot of soreness after a workout, if there's lots of frequent sprains and strains and things like that, that's an indicator for overtraining. Could also have to do with your alignment, but, you know, um, there can be hormonal imbalances, maybe some water retention, um, there could be like a weakening of your immunity or misdirected immunity, which could be allergy or it could be like an autoimmune kind of state. Um, and again, like each of these things on its own could have lots and lots of reasons for it. But when we see them all together and there's either been a recent increase in the amount of, of, uh, like exercise specific movement you're doing, or if it's just at a very high level, um, then that's when we start to be worried about, about overtraining. But I think the most important thing to, to keep in mind about it is that overtraining is always the mirror of insufficient resting and insufficient recovery generally, right? So that's nutritive recovery, that's actual sleep, um, stress management, and so on. And um, if, we can, if we can keep that in mind, then we can help ourselves adjust, right? Can be like, all right, well, if you want to keep this new intense workout schedule, then maybe some nighttime social activities are going to need to go on the back burner, right? Maybe you're going to really take a, need to take another good hard look at your diet and, and really dial that in. Um, so it's not always to say that we do have to cut back on the exercise or the movement if that's what you love and you enjoy, just that you have to balance it out with the other factors in your life. Very interesting. Thank you. Something that I also wanted to ask you about is the fact that we are all different, so constitutionally. And uh, people that are listening to this podcast most likely are familiar with constitutions, but I wanted to ask you to talk a little bit about how movement and exercise is connected to our unique differences. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, this is something that I, I find really exciting because as you say, you know, as herbalists, we think a lot about, about constitution, about the individual person and what are their specific needs, um, which kind of herbs are going to be most appropriate for them. And so, you know, for me, this, this way of thinking was really taking that idea from herbal energetics and trying to apply that over to movement and see what, what came out of that. Um, and so a couple of things kind of emerged for me. And when, when Katya and I talk energetics, we talk about the, the, the six um, primary qualities. So that's hot and cold, moist and dry, tense mm -hmm. and lax. Um, and, you know, everybody's going to be somewhere on one of those spectrums. Um, and, you know, all of those added together is what makes up your, your particular constitution. So um, I think about this in a couple of ways. One is like, what are the, what would it look like for somebody who was kind of an exaggerated type of each of those? And what kind of problems would they be most likely to have with movement? Um, and then that can lead us to what kind of movement styles or practices would be good to help to kind of counterbalance that. that. Um, so when I think about people who run really hot, for instance, These are our fire people, you know, they've got a lot of energy, they've got a lot of excitement, a lot of drive. Um, and if that gets too exaggerated, then one thing that I see with them when they're moving around is that they can, they can overpower their movements. They're just like putting everything into, into every, every push, every lift, every press, every strike. And they can kind of like overcommit sometimes to, to a movement. They can, they can throw things out. They're more likely to get injured because they'll rush into things and not really like keep their, keep their balance there. So they're relying a lot on that force generation. And um, what I mostly look, see there are, are problems with establishing good position. Um, good, good alignment is a, is a really big part for that. So that's, that's your hot type. Um, for your cold types, we're looking at like not enough power in the movements. You know, like if you want to, if you want to jump over something, you got to really jump. You got to pull your legs up after you. And a lot of times I see folks with a cold constitution, they're, they're not really like, I don't know, they need to get some of that more internal drive first and then put that into the outward movement. So, you know, you kind of need to build up some more fire, more, more, more movement, more, more heat into that mm -hmm. too. 
dry types, uh, you know, with dryness, um, this does kind of get into some of the like psychological aspects of the type too. So um, I'm a dry type and, and I'll speak from <laughs> personal experience here that, that we can often um, get into uh, a lot of analysis and get really caught up in particular details mm-hmm. and can get a little distracted with that and, and lose flow lose the the kind of fluidity um and and get a little a little stuck being like okay i I do this and then i do that and then i do Mm -hmm. that and losing the connection between them which is what a a movement really needs um on the other hand the the damp types these are our water type you know they've got a lot of flow they've got a lot of fluidity um but sometimes they can like lose the timing they kind of like follow their own river Mm -hmm. path you know uh and aren't aren't so um structured about it yeah. With tense and lax, this is a little easier to, to see and to understand, you know, your tense people. Well, they're too tense. They're, they're tight. They have difficulty achieving the amount of, um, uh, well, the degree of relaxation you need because every movement requires both tension and relaxation. You know, um, a lot of movements will have a complementary muscle, right? Like your bicep tenses, your tricep relaxes, and then vice versa. Um, and this obviously gets a lot more complex in the whole body, but the same basic idea is there that, you need to hold some parts of you tense and release tension in other areas if you want to move freely and move well. So, you know, one way that shows up is that um, you can be working too hard to achieve a particular thing. And uh, for a while I was taking classes at a a circus arts school here in town. um, And I ran into that problem a lot, you know, like uh, especially with like aerial silks where, you know, it's, there's a lot of strength involved. You're holding yourself up and climbing the silk and everything, but you also are going to, do a lot of deep arch back bends and things that require a lot of flexibility. So you really need to hold both of those, the tension and relaxation at the same time. And that was very instructive Mm -hmm. for me. That that helped a lot. Um, Lax people, again, pretty simple there. Just don't have the adequate tension where it's needed. It's kind of a mirror image of that same problem. So, you know, these, these kind of things are all, all going to be playing in. And then we can think about like what kind of exercise would help to, to counterbalance those things. So, you know, for those hot types that are like overpowered, it's good for things that slow you down, like Tai Chi or Qigong, right? Where it's like, all right, now we're all focused on like moving slow and keeping that fluidity and no, no, don't rush. You can't rush. It loses the whole point, right? So just, just take it like that. Um, of course, for hot, hot types, uh, getting in the water is really mm-hmm. good. Um, you know, when you swim, you've got the resistance of the water, so you can really like feel like you're pushing, but you're not going to strain anything. You're way less likely to, to throw a joint out or twist an ankle or something. So water, water exercise can be really good. Um, and then I also find it's really good to just be outside in nature, um, walking and, and crawling and hiking and things like that. Um, especially, especially barefoot. Mm-hmm. There's a, a cooling grounding influence there that really helps with your cold types. You know, you got to build that heat. So things like sprinting and high intensity exercise or high intensity interval training. So that's like a short duration. You know, those workouts are generally not going to be longer than 20 minutes or a half an hour if it's a real high intensity thing, but it has that fire and that heat to it. Um, A bit of running can be good. Um, Cold types often have a lot of stamina. And so you can also choose exercises that are, that are suited to what you, what you, what you are, what you, what you're, how you're constituted. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for a cold type, um, it can be good to like take a heavy pack and go hiking or go walking around. Um, cause that really is a, as a stamina kind of an exercise. So that fits for them too. Um, with the dry types, again, put them in the water, okay. right? Uh, swimming, rowing, paddling, all that kind of thing. Um, and again, I think being barefoot outside in nature, um, in the morning in particular, when there's some dew on the ground, you know, get some of that some of that, uh, that water into your life and pull that in. Um, uh, and then for the damp types here, we want to think a little more about squeezing the water out of you. So yoga, yoga styles that are focused on like deep stretching and like long holds. When you stretch, um, you actually, it's like if you had a sponge that was all soaked and filled with mm-hmm. water and you pull it, pull it from both ends and stretch it, the water gets squeezed out, right? So the same thing happens in your connective tissues when we do that kind of deep stretching. Um, and that can help to, to liberate that fluid and help that to, to circulate as well. Um, with your damp types, again, these are our water people and they're really good empaths. Uh, uh, that's like the psychological aspect that goes along with that. 
um, but sometimes have a lot of trouble um, with uh, conflict. And so, you know, if this seems comfortable and someone's into it, I would advise um, doing some kind of sparring. Uh, so that's striking or grappling in a controlled environment. Um, but it does help you to really get comfortable with conflict and to get comfortable with expressing what you need to express. Um, so I do think that there's some value to that. For uh, tense types, um, any kind of stretching is going to be a good idea. Um, tai Chi and Qigong, again, can be helpful because that's more of like an active kind of relaxation. You know, you're holding a position, but you're not using any excess tension. You're really working to peel all of that mm-hmm. away. That can help a lot. Um, yoga styles that are focused on flow or really other kinds of movement. Like there's a, there's a sort of a branded movement style out there called animal flow. Um, and that also is, is very helpful here, but things that focus on that linking, I mean, dance styles can be helpful there as well, right? Like not getting too blocky, but Mm -hmm. like keeping that fluidity. Um, also again, like I said, aerial silks and circus arts, um, here in Boston, we have uh, a couple of different, uh, schools for that. So, um, we're really fortunate here and that's, that's pretty cool. But again, because they have that, that balance between like the necessary tension and the, the necessary relaxation. Um, and then for lax types, things that, that enhance your structure are really good. So Pilates is super helpful for that. Um, bar workouts, which are like a ballet influence thing. There's lots of specific tension in, in ballet, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, balancing movements are really critical too. Cause again, that's, that's about that, that's, balance between tension and relaxation that can be um, partner acro that can be hand balancing uh, slack line um, high wire whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so you know these are just some ideas some things to kind of like start the thought process but it, it is a way to try to to take that idea of the herbal energetics the individual constitution the specific needs and weaknesses and strengths and uh, turn that into the movement world. Very good. Thank you. You mentioned high-intensity interval training. When I took your class, you addressed three different types of exercise or three different types of movement that is important to have for a very balanced movement plan. Could you talk a little Mm -hmm. bit about them? So I know that one of them is just low exertion movement and strength training and these high-intensity exercises. Why all three are essential? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the thing is that um, not all exercise is created equal, right? Like if we if we were all hunter-gatherers, we wouldn't need to really plan because these things would naturally emerge as we move through our world. Um, you need to walk over to the field where the flowers grow. You need to harvest them. You need to carry them back home. Um, and you know, uh, whether it's hunting an animal or, or whatever else we're doing to, again, keep ourselves alive, there would be this need for these, these specific kinds of movement, um, as we go along. Um, and like you said, the base of that would be that extended low exertion movement, like walking. Um, and you know, I, I give the evolutionary context there because like that's shaped our physiology. And so if we can understand what would have been required for, our ancestors to move through the world and and stay healthy and stay alive. We can see the way that that's shaped how our bodies actually work. And we can think of them as things the body expects or that it, that it needs to really be healthy. Um, So extended low exertion movement, like walking, it's going to help utilize fat stores for fuel. It helps to restore metabolic flexibility. It reduces that strain on the heart. Cause again, you're moving all of your muscles, circulating all your blood there's a lot of benefits to that. So we do want to have that as like the, the foundation of what we do. Um, if we can be walking at least 30 minutes every day, that's where you start to see the benefits, like, like serious benefits begin um, in terms of, again, blood sugar regulation and cholesterol readings and things like that. Um, you know, for people who are new to movement, I'll have them start out and just say, you know, take 10 minutes after each meal and take a little stroll, you know, it'll help you digest your food better for one thing. But, um, but it's also a way to like set those markers in your mind that say, this is when I go and mm-hmm. do that. You know, uh, if a few days out of each week, you could take an hour to go for a walk or two hours or something, um, that can be really great. And then also with walking that we're, we we want to focus that outdoors whenever possible, um, get some different terrain, get some different feeling on your feet. If you can walk barefoot, that's awesome. Um, and if you can go to a forest or a natural area, um, then now we're getting into what people call forest bathing, right? Um, and so that's just spending time in a natural environment. And we know that that, separate from the movement aspect, that has benefits on our stress, on our internal chemistry, and um, 
all of those kind of things too. So, all right, so that's the foundation. And then we're going to want to every now and then lift some heavy stuff, right? So, you know, we could, um, we could do this in a couple of ways. One is to say like, you know, a couple of times a week, you're going to take a half an hour, find some heavy things and pick them up and put them down. That could be your body, right? When you're crawling, when you're climbing, when you're jumping, when you're throwing and catching things, that counts as like lifting or, or weight moving mm-hmm. movements. Um, some kinds of yoga, some kinds of martial arts are like that, you know. Um, so th- those are all the kinds of movements we have in mind here when we talk about a, about a lifting workout. Um, and yeah, so you can do it like that. You could also just have it, again, built into your day. So maybe you don't set out these specific workout times, but you have, uh, like I say, a kettlebell or, a, or a, a weight and, you know, you just bring it around your house with you as you go from room to room. Like you, you've got the, the trigger mm-hmm. to, to do that lifting. If you're trying to build muscle, it is a good idea to have some specific um, weight-based workouts. Um, again, a few times a week, half an hour or an hour maybe a little more depends on what you're doing, but trying to get that in there. And that has, that has signals that basically are going to help with the building of the muscle mass. It's, it's a lot more effective than endurance training or long runs or things like that. So when that's, when that's the goal or when that's part of the goal, that's where strength training is going to be really critical. You can think again about our ancestors carrying baskets or carrying an animal or, or carrying each other, you know, uh, things like that. And then finally, uh, the last part would be sprinting or brief high intensity exercise. So sprinting can mean a lot of things. You know, it can mean running. It can mean uh, going on an elliptical or an exercise bike. You can sprint while you swim. You can skip rope as fast as you can. Um, You know, there's lots of different ways to sprint. But if you can do that once, twice a week, um, sprinting, these kinds of like high intensity anaerobic exercise, they're a lot more effective for reducing your insulin mm-hmm. levels, improving your, your um, blood lipids, the cholesterol things, um, reducing inflammatory markers. It also boosts the production of mitochondria in your body. Um, and that, again, it contributes to, to longevity. So, so these are the, the three like, major categories of movement that we look into. Um, and we do try to get, get them each into a given week or into a given period, but in kind of a pyramid shape, right? So like the low level movement is the foundation and the biggest portion, a little bit of lifting uh, every now and then. And then the sprinting is kind of the capstone there. Very useful. Thank you. So we talked a little bit about constitution and how exercise uh, fits for different types of people, but we can't finish this conversation without actually talking a little bit about herbs, yeah, their properties. So I know that there are some herbs that either help to enhance movement or that movement enhances their effects. So we can think about this in a couple of ways, right? So one way would be to say like, what is it we're doing while we're, while we're moving around, while we're working out and how can the herbs enhance that, right? So when we move our body, we move our blood. Um, There are herbs that move blood, right? We call them circulatory stimulants, things like ginger and cayenne and prickly ash and damiana plants that help with circulation and that we, we give to people when they have a circulatory problem. If we give them those herbs and we give them some movement guidance at the same time, then we're both working towards that same goal, mm-hmm. right? So the movement enhances the herb, the herb enhances the movement, right? They, they work together in that way. Same thing in terms of lymphatic movement and lymphatic herbs, right? So if we have calendula, if we have self-heal, uh, violets or, or poke or red root, these move, herbs that, again, that circulate lymph in the body or, or help that to move around in an orderly fashion, um, giving those is great, you know, if people have stagnant lymph or whatever, but if we can give them those herbs and have them go for a nice walk, that's going to be a lot more effective, right? So they, they complement each other really mm-hmm. tightly. Thinking about fluid circulation, you know, we can also think about uh, plants like diuretics, for instance, you know, again, uh, the same kind of idea to enhance that. With diuretics, it's not only just about like making you pee more, it's about dredging up stuck fluid in the body, um, places where it's been stagnant, helping that to move. So maybe you have some fluid bloating around the belly or some edema down in the legs, right? I can give you diuretics like dandelion leaf. And I can also, again, have you go for a walk or do some stretching or move around in some ways. And that's going to, that's going to improve how well it works. 
And then alterative herbs more generally, right? So alteratives we talk about as blood cleansers, herbs that improve the quality of all your circulating fluids. And the herb has that influence, but if you physically move it, then it works so much better. So those are all places that that can help out. You know, I was talking about the idea of taking a stroll after a meal and how that helps your digestion. You can take your bitters before the meal. You can take some ginger and peppermint after the meal or whatever you enjoy. And again, take a walk, right? That, again, it all feeds together. So those are, are places where like the herbs and the movement are, are working together through that common goal. That's one way to think about how herbs and movement come together. The other way would be um, herbs that can enable mm-hmm. movements uh, and make that a little more attainable for people. So what gets in the way of movement? A lot of times it's pain. Sometimes it's, it's a lack of energy. Sometimes it's uh, fear or worry. There are many different ways to address that. So if there is pain um, or if there is, you know, a limitation, uh, stiffness or something, then rubifacients can help. Again, ginger, cayenne, prickly ash, herbs like this. Rub that directly into the joints that hurt, get a little relief, feel a little more able to move around and, and then go out and do it. I really rely very heavily in my own life on Solomon Seal. So that's like a connective tissue tonic. It's a, it's a relaxant. It's a, it's a restorative. It helps to you know, improve balance in the amount of tension and relaxation in the, in the connectives. Um, so that's a nerve that I find to be really important to, again, to, to take either an injury and help to repair from that or to just take areas where there is excessive tension and to loosen that out. Um, it's really nice because it achieves all of those goals. More direct relaxants can sometimes be very helpful. So like kava or lobelia, you know, if you have um, your back is all locked up tight and it's, it's giving you pain, you can rub some lobelia tincture right into there or some kava or both and get some release from that. And again, now maybe you can do some light stretching or some twisting. Maybe that's what actually helps the cause of the back pain or the cause of that clamping down to, to be resolved. And now you don't have to deal with that mm-hmm. anymore. I think also about nutritive herbs, right? Because again, you know, if somebody is going to work out or they're going to ramp up their movement, then they're going to place some extra demands on their body. And whether it's the seaweeds or it's horsetail or it's even just rose hips, you know, so we're looking at mineral intake there. With horsetail, you specifically have um, silica content, which is really important for building healthy tissues that are both strong but also flexible at the same time. So it's true in the bones. And it's true in the, the vasculature of the body. And then things like rose hips, you know, it sounds simple, but vitamin C is really critical to building healthy collagenous tissue. So that's all of your connective tissue in the body. And, you know, um, it's surprising how many people actually do have vitamin C deficiencies uh, even today. So, so all of that. And then there's the adaptogens, right? And this is like, I always try to leave this for the last because this is the one that gets people really excited. Mm-hmm. It's like, wait, you mean I could have more endurance and more energy and then I could... Uh, And yes, those herbs can give you those things, but you have to use it wisely, right? So, you know, we don't want you to start taking adaptogens and then push yourself into a place of overtraining because it tends to be a credit card and eventually it comes due, right? right? But I do also find that herbs like ashwagandha or eleuthero um, that have a little bit of that stimulus to them, they can really help people who want to move, but they're exhausted or they're depleted or they're tired. And, you know, especially in the case where it's like the person is maybe kind of sedentary because they're tired all day and they don't really exert themselves and move around a lot. And then in the nighttime, they're just feeling kind of zombied. They're, they're tired sort of, but they're not like ready to sleep. And so they often end up like watching YouTube or Netflix or whatever, and then like starting that cycle over again. So ashwagandha is super helpful there. It really helps you to have energy in the daytime, but also be able to rest and, and to, to sleep in the nighttime. That's one of my absolute favorite herbs to work with for people in that pattern. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it might just be Boston, but I see a lot of people who are, are living like that. And they need, they need something to kind of break that cycle, give them a boost, give them some, some feeling of energy and will um, get out there and move. And then they'll feel a lot better. They'll be better able to sleep that night. Now we're getting a positive cycle going. This is fabulous. Thank you so much. So you mentioned a couple of resources for people who live in Boston, but I wanted to talk a little bit more about this. So whether it is uh, circus arts or MoveNet or various other types of movement and exercise suggestions, that would be absolutely fabulous. 
Yeah, yeah. So I think I didn't even mention MoveNet yet, but this is a this is a style that I've been uh, pursuing, and and there are a lot of different things like this now, which is great. Um, people who are are trying to find different ways to think about and to teach movement skills. Um, so whether that's like the parkour world or those animal flow guys or or, or MoveNet, there's a lot of a lot of interest in this now. So a couple of my favorites there. Um, again, yeah, MoveNet. Um, so you can check them out. It's M O V N A T. And uh, they've got a ton of content out there on their website and, and YouTube channels and stuff like this. And so that's basically like a system for teaching movement from the ground up, quite literally. Like in when I, I teach classes based on this and we start lying down on the floor and then rolling over and sitting up and doing some different ground sitting positions and then like working your way up until you're, you know, climbing trees and jumping over park benches and stuff like that. So it's like very structured and it appeals to me in large part because it is structured like a martial art. You know, like I said, that was my first introduction to movement and to taking care of your health. And um, what I like about, about the MoveNet approach is that, like, you start with pieces that are very simple. And then as you master those, then you, you elaborate on them or you combine them with others to build things that are more complex and more challenging. Um, so I enjoy that, uh, that quite a lot. Um, so you can check them out. There's also a book now from the, the founder. It's called The Practice of Natural Movement. And that has a lot of a lot of good movement philosophy and, and also a lot of good um, specific instruction uh, pieces in there as well. You know, before I found MoveNet, I was also really interested in the work of Katie Bowman from Nutritious Movements. And she's just a fantastic teacher. She focuses, well, these days she focuses a lot on that idea of like getting out into nature and moving and, and stacking your life and trying to not like hive all your movement over into exercise. But to like say, like, I can go out in the garden, I can get some movement time, I can get some community time, I can be feeding myself, I can be growing herbs, right? And doing all of that simultaneously, and now it can start to actually fit into a modern busy lifetime, right? So I really love that that's the turn she's taken. But Katie has also in the past spent a lot of time focusing on, on alignment and how to have your movement be as efficient as possible. She's a really great teacher. You can look up Nutritious Movement. She has a couple of great books, one called Move Your DNA that gets into a lot of the the ideas I was talking about at the beginning about the way that movement influences our health at the cellular and even at the genetic level. And then she has a book called Movement Matters, which is, again, more about like integrating movement into your daily life. These two have actually collaborated. Uh, There's a program out there now called Natural Movement Fundamentals. And if you just Google Natural Movement Fundamentals course, um, that'll pop right up. And it's basically like... Katie at the beginning to like give you the like real basic um, alignment and and flexibility related things. And then some of the folks from MoveNet who come in and say like, all right, that builds up into squatting or carrying or jumping or climbing or whatever else. So it's a a really awesome program. Um, I I love it because it's, it's kind of exactly what I've been teaching in my own movement classes and like weaving those threads together, I think is really powerful. Can you talk a little bit about your own classes? When do you offer them where people can find you? Yeah. Yeah. So you can find us at commonwealthherbs.com. And um, if you look at events, then, then uh, that's where the classes are listed. Currently I'm doing Wednesday night classes at seven o'clock at our space over in Boston. It's technically Brookline, but it's like right next to BU Central, um, right at the St. Mary stop on the Green Line. And so, yeah, I've been doing those classes for quite a while now. Again, weaving in a lot of different threads, the MoveNet stuff, the Katie Bowman stuff, um, some of my martial arts training movements related to like scout skills and things that I've picked up along the years, some Tai Chi, a whole bunch of different things. It's like everything else I do. So I'll spend some time teaching people to move, think about ways to integrate movement into their life. You know, usually um, in the summertime, I've been going over to a park uh, with with the students and again, climbing on park branches and hanging from trees and stuff like that, because that's really where it's it's most exciting, not just because I'm an herbalist and I love to be outside, but it also makes it more variable. It makes it more challenging. It makes it more real world, you know? So yeah, that's what I've been doing lately. And um, I am planning a couple of forest retreats. We have some forested land out in Royalston, Massachusetts, not too far away from Boston. It's like a 90 minute drive. So I'm planning some retreats out there in the forest and we're, we're building a forest playground and the forest itself is a playground really. So um, I'm really excited about that. I'm hoping to offer um, at least one uh, this autumn um, and then to continue on with that over through the next year. 
Um, so more on that's coming soon. If you uh, go to our website, uh, commonwealthherbs.com and join our mailing list, then you can stay updated when we have that ready. That's fabulous. And you guys have a really fascinating weekly podcast that I will also link in the show notes as well as your social media profile. So you guys do amazing, absolutely amazing job. Thank you. Rin, thank you so much for spending this time with me, for sharing a lot of your wisdom. As we are finishing this interview, I have one last question. Do you have any words of wisdom, any parting thoughts for our audience? Yeah. So since we're talking to a lot of herbalists, I would say hugging trees is great and climbing trees is possibly even better. Um, My uh, New Year's resolution for this year was to climb a a tree every day. And I've missed a couple here and there, but uh, I've I've definitely really gotten a lot out of that. Um, It's given me a whole new appreciation for red pine. And um, uh, yeah, if you can climb a tree, do it. And if you can't climb a tree, then sit near it and crawl around the bottom of it and move in whatever ways you can move. You know, like I was saying before, forest bathing is fantastic and there's lots of ways to engage in that. And um, yeah, climbing them is definitely my favorite way right now. (laughs) Thank you. Fabulous advice. Thank you so much for joining us today for this discussion on plants, energetics and movement skills with Rin Madura. As I mentioned in the introduction, I put together a short guide for you summarizing herbal activities and their connection to movement skills based on our conversation. You can find it along with all the other resources in the show notes at plantloveradio.com slash 57. Are you listening to Plant Love Radio for the first time? Please subscribe to the podcast to seamlessly get future episodes downloaded to your device. I'm so thrilled to introduce you to many amazing guests and topics. And of course, nothing says thank you better than sharing this show with a friend who might enjoy it and giving us a five-star rating and review. Thank you so much in advance. The music you hear in the introduction was written by a neighbor of mine, David Scholl, and is called Something About Cat. My deepest gratitude to Bill Gilligan for this opportunity to play it. Thanks again for being here today. I really appreciate you. Till the next time, thank you for loving plants and planting love.